Peter Chief says how great the territory of Puerto Rico is, for him of course, while Dorados Majors suggests a new property tax for the wealthy. Also, we will be discussing the problems with pure democracies and we will go inside what is behind the concept of participative democracy. I am Ivan Gonzalez and this is Inside the Colony. Alright, welcome back everybody, this is Inside the Colony. Let's, uh, let's start talking about Peter Schiff and his recent comments on how the territory is so great for him. It's a wonderful territory and it's so good that we are a territory and not a state and yada yada yada, all that. Well, he's an American, American stockbroker, he's a, a financial commentary, in fact he has his own radio. Um, and his own radio page, or call it a podcast, internet radio, right? Um, he's an economist, uh, and he's he owns various businesses, including um, Eurobank, Euro Pacific Bank, which uh, was founded by him, and they were relocated to San Juan, Puerto Rico, in 2017. Uh, and, and he owns um, uh, another company called Euro Pacific Asset Management. Uh, LLC. This is an asset management company uh, founded in uh, Newport Beach and also is currently relocated to uh, Dorado, Puerto Rico, which is another municipality which we will, we will be talking about uh, here in, uh, in, later on in the, in the episode. So as you can see, this, this guy has a, a couple of businesses, mostly financial businesses, and they were founded in other places and relocated to Puerto Rico. Now, why? Were they relocated to Puerto Rico? What a great question. Why? Well, happens. And by the way, he, uh, he's a failed politician. Uh, he ran for under the Republican Party uh, in for the Senate seat of Connecticut and he lost. So yeah, failed politician as well. But anyway, like I was saying, why would his companies that were founded somewhere else be now all of a sudden in Puerto Rico. Well, it's not that it's not that difficult to, to understand. Um, happened that Puerto Rico has been a territory of the United States. It's not considered it, it, its tax system is not under the US tax code. For purposes of taxes, we are foreign. So that means that we are not subject or the people living in Puerto Rico, and Puerto Rico itself is not subject to many of the provisions of the federal uh, tax code, right? So, being something else in regards to taxes, Puerto Rico can enact its own systems of taxes that are very different from the taxes that could be enacted in any other given state. And... By having that kind of system, you can work your way and make it make many, many tax incentives and tax breaks and whatnot to incentivize others to come to Puerto Rico and and invest in Puerto Rico uh, and so forth. So in 2012, uh, and this is not something new, I mean, this has been the the modus operandi in Puerto Rico ever since. It is known that Puerto Rico's progress is mostly in part due to um, very aggressive tax positions that they, that, you know, the Puerto Rico 
uh, governmental officials and, and whatnot uh, used to have. And obviously all these tax breaks and tax incentives that they were implemented you know, to attract investment and to attract businesses to come here. For example, manufacturers and, for example, um, the healthcare industry in Puerto Rico. You know, big companies, big, big pharma companies, right? They were established here um, under the arrangement that they were they were going to have many tax breaks and incentives if they moved their operations to Puerto Rico. And that was under the 936 code, uh, you know, the section of the, of the U.S. code. Uh, that obviously doesn't it's not it's, it's not it's not applicable yet right now that obviously had a phase out period and is no longer uh, in law but I'm just giving you this as an example we have been doing this ever since our adoption of a constitution in 1952 I mean this is the way that Puerto Rico has operated uh, and, and, and it has worked right it has worked in the past um, Puerto Rico's economy has been Mostly driven by this, right? Attracting investments again from the outside, outside investors, outside businesses coming to Puerto Rico with, with the with the obviously with the arrangement that they're going to have incredible tax breaks and incredible um, incentives, um, and you know for them to actually for them to make sense to invest in Puerto Rico. So it is not something new, but in 2012, under a Republican pro-statehood party and governorship, two new acts were, ena- were enacted, basically Act 20 and Act 22 were enacted. These laws, pretty much, it's, again, they give out incentives to U.S. citizens that, to, you know, that will relocate to Puerto Rico and, and, and they will bring their business here, they will be bona fide residents, and so forth. So, uh, talking a little bit about Act 20 and Act 22, I, again, I'm not a tax expert, expert, so I'm just going to go with, um, you know, the basics of what it is. Act 20 uh, is also known as the Exports Services Act, um, and it targets basically certain service businesses by offering incentives, such as um, a low 4% corporate income tax, okay? Um Act 22 is mostly related to individual investors, and, and it's pretty much called that way, Individual Investors Act. Um, and it targets uh, basically high net worth investors with, you know, promising that they're going to have 0% tax on interest, dividends, and capital gains, and so forth. You know, obtained, obviously, while residing and living in Puerto Rico. As a, and again, as a, as a bona fide resident. So there's there's rules, there's no multiple rules and, 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 and eligibility requirements that you have to pass. It is not something that you just apply and you're granted. You have to apply and you have to pass certain requirements in order for you to be granted this, this incentives. I'm not going to go into details of this. Again, this is not my specialization, but it, 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 you basically have to submit a form uh, to a government agency. They have to review it. You have to be eligible and you have to comply with a couple of requirements and they will grant you this tax decree that's going to last you, uh, if I'm not mistaken, about 20 years or so. So what's the purpose of this? Again, it's just to attract investors from the outside, U.S. investors, wealthy investors, and put it back in Puerto Rico and say, come here, move your business here, and 
and we'll grant you this uh, incentive. And, and, and this is just to move up the economy. And this was made because obviously Puerto Rico in 2012 and, and even today uh, was on, a, on, a, on an economic recession or depression, right? So the government was trying to, by any means, literally by any means, trying to get the economy moving. And they decided to do this. Well, this guy is here in Puerto Rico, and the reason that he moved those two businesses to Puerto Rico, one in Dorado and the other one in San Juan, is just because he's under Act 20. He is, this wealthy guy is given all these tax incentives, and, and, and that, is, that is why, basically, there's no other reason why this, this person, this Peter Chief, says that, oh, Puerto Rico is so good, Puerto Rico is, is amazing, I'm so glad that the Puerto Rico is a territory, not a state. I mean, imagine a state. I mean, they, 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 the state will, will be even worse for them. No, in fact, no, it's not, it's not going to be worse for us. It's going to be worse for you because then you're not going to have any of these tax incentives and tax havens, right? Puerto Rico has become a tax haven for, for many outsiders. And, and I don't say outsiders, um, um, you know, disrespectfully. He's an American citizen, he's a U.S. citizen. So, so but technically, we're U.S. citizens here, and we don't get this sort of treatment. In fact, we're going to go into the details a little bit more into how many taxes we pay here and how much. And, and, and you know, we're taxed pretty much everything by about everything and everywhere. But yet, this guy is given tax incentives. This is this is what he this is this is why he says. Oh, I, I, Puerto Rico's is is great. It's, it's such, such a good stuff that he's Puerto Rico is a, is a territory. Well, yeah, because it benefits you. Duh, you're benefiting from the territorial status of Puerto Rico because it, it, it that status can grant you these many benefits that under a state you could you probably would not have them. Well, states have other means to attract businesses. Other than being a tax haven or a corporate welfare state, which is what has always been the case for Puerto Rico. Again, the economy in Puerto Rico has been predicated on tax incentives and tax welfare, and, and, and I mean uh, corporate welfare, ever since its, its creation in 1952. This is why, whenever these sections and special tax treatments are 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 eliminated, the economy goes collapse collapses because there's no there's no real economy behind Puerto Rico there's no real foundation to Puerto Rico the the whole purpose of Puerto Rico is being again a tax haven and everything that Puerto Rico has done is is predicated and has been predicated on tax incentives and tax incentives and tax incentives and corporate welfare and obviously these businesses are, you know, required to have a certain amount of employees and all that stuff. But there's there are many ways and loopholes that you can bypass many of these things. And so most likely, or more likely, um, Puerto Rico is giving tax incentives and is not having a return of its of those tax incentives. And then we and then and then you gotta realize you gotta start asking asking your question. I mean, why is Puerto Rico still a territory? Well, this is why. This is why we're still a territory, because we still we keep giving these tax incentives to the outside, and then these people come here. They they, they 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 move their businesses here, and guess what? They're gonna go out there and they're gonna advocate oh for to stay, for for Puerto Rico to stay as it is, and then the trade associations are gonna go do, do the same thing. Everybody's gonna do the same thing. In fact, that's what they do. Trade associations in Puerto Rico. That's what they defend. 
they, they defended the um, the uh, manufacturing sector with all their tax breaks. Oh, because the tax because if you eliminate the tax breaks, you were gonna kill them. Well, I mean, you can't have an economy based on tax incentives. You gotta have something else. You have to have a solid foundation, solid economy. That is not just based on that. Yes, you can give incentives, of course. I mean, that's that's everybody wants to give incentives, and every state wants to, of course, um, you know, try to be, uh, uh, try to make it so that it is, you know, it makes more sense for a business to establish in Florida rather than um, Texas or whatever, or, or it makes more sense, you know, people in uh, in 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 Georgia are going to try to make it so that businesses establish it there instead of uh, California, right? It, it's, it's, that is perfectly legit. But the whole system cannot be constructed under a tax, tax haven. It, it is wrong. Because the moment those incentives go out, then the whole system collapses, which we actually, that's what happened, actually. So, yeah, we, we're living that right now. And we have been trying to reformulate whatever we are we're, we're doing whatever our economies is going to be whether that be tourism whether that be whatever it is whether it be um technology with something whatever it, the whatever it is that we're gonna is gonna be the base of our ecosystem our economy we're trying to formulate that now because of course we the the, the whole tax evasion system and the tax haven system didn't work because we were not prepared we were always relying on tax breaks for businesses to stay here, but guess what? The the whole ecosystem, the whole economic ecosystem in Puerto Rico, aside from the tax breaks that these people are uh, were getting, doesn't make any business sense. None at all. I mean, when you take into consideration how much it costs for power consumption, for water consumption, how many taxes are paid here for many people, for basically all the real, the real bona fide residents, not these people that randomly want to be here. Not because they love Puerto Rico or not because Puerto Rico is a paradise or whatever. No, it's just because they want to have these incentives. Well, guess what? The real people that have been sticking here, that have been chewing the bones because there's no more meat to chew from, the real people that are here are not giving these tax incentives. In fact, they are giving, it is a tax hell for them, for us. And yet this guy advocates that we should be remaining a territory because it's so bad to be a state. Well, if it's so bad to be a state, I want, and, and I, I really, I, I really, I mean, I want to see those states start shouting that they want to be a territory. I don't see them shouting. Obviously, he's talking nonsense. It is complete BS. That's what it is. Complete BS. And it's so disres- disrespectful that somebody like Peter David Chiff, or whoever, I'm using this example because it has been the, the most recent example of some wealthy individual that has established in Puerto Rico because of tax breaks and tax incentives, talking about how great the territory is for its people. No, it's great for you. And that's the whole point. That's the bottom line. I don't care what everybody says. It's great for you. And it's great for people like you, not for people like me. Why could not? Why could there not be tax incentives for me? I mean, come on, give me zero percent tax on everything. I'll establish a business tomorrow. Give me a more efficient way of establishing a business and give me those tax incentives. I'll, I'll establish a business tomorrow. Hell, I'll run a business. Give it to give, give those incentives for me to to me for twenty years. 
I'll do it. And I'm pretty sure many of us will do it. I mean, I see many people in Puerto Rico complain about their specific employers. Well, guess what? If you're mad at your employer and you don't want to be the employee no more, well, guess what? You can be the employer yourself. Go create your business. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm pro-business. I understand that business owners are the ones that are to have the economic benefits of their investments in that business. They're, they ought to have their return of the investment. I mean, at the end of the day, they were the ones that took the risk. They were the ones that put their monies and their houses and their personal property in jeopardy to create this business that now you, obviously, um, are an employee of. And yes, of course, I mean, um, the, the long-term achievement of any business and any um, entrepreneur and any business owner is, of course, it's people. Yes, of course. I mean, at the end of the day, you owe it to your people. But ultimately, whoever, the person that took the first risk, the most risk, the person that put everything on the line those first days were those, in, those business owners. They took the risk. They did it. They came afloat. And they, and, they, and, and, and they have their money now. And they, and they employ people. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, guess what? There's many people here that are very mad at their employers. Well, one way of promoting self-employment and new business, new startup businesses is to actually give this, this type of incentives to people that are local, that live here. That again, like I said, have been chewing the bones for the past 15 years in economic depression. Not these people that just come here randomly. You know, that is my point of view. That is just me. Let's, let's look at the, let's look at the, um, um, how Puerto Rico is a tax hill for the locals. Let's, let's see. We pay the highest sales and use tax in the whole nation. In fact, it's not, it's not just a sales tax. It's a sales and use tax and it includes services. So you pay, we pay a lot, 11.5%. 11.5. Nowhere in the nation you see 11.5 in the sales tax. You have one of the most craziest, highest, and more pervasive power and water costs in the whole nation. It is crazy. This 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 cost they kill they kill businesses. So when in one side you're giving this manufacturers, pharmaceuticals, and all these businesses, these all great incentives. On the other hand, you're killing them with this humongous cost of power and water and all the regulations, all the regulation costs. So when you take out the tax incentive part of the equation, then it does, then, then right there, it doesn't make any sense for them to continue their business in Puerto Rico because everything else is, is actually not, it doesn't make business sense for them. Because they're going to lose money. So unless we fix this other sec, this other part of, of our economic system, this other part, which is the tax system, is never going to provide an economic benefit in the long term. It's just going to be in the short term or in the midterm. And then when that, when those credits are gone, well, if you don't fix this other side of the equation, guess what? They're going to be gone again. And whatever you built predicated on the tax part is going to be gone. This is why we need to work on the other side. But we don't. We'd rather just create tax incentives for people like 
Peter Chief and let him brag about the territory and how good it is. And this is why we're not a state, because people like him advocate in Congress with lobbyists and with the trade associations that, and, and at the same time have lobbies that Puerto Rico should remain a territory. It is great. It's great there. Oh, I love it. I love Puerto Rico. Ooh, amazing place. Great people, they say. Great people. Very humble. Yeah. And yet we pay 11.5% in Ibu sales tax. It's called Ibu here. And yet we have the highest cost of power consumption and, and most likely water consumption as well. Our income tax is crazy. Super high. Super high. Um, and let's look at the individuals. I'm, I'm, I'm going to use the 2018 income tax return as an example. Let's, let's, let's look at the tax computation table. You're, you're gonna you're gonna like this okay normal tax for individuals corresponding to taxable years beginning after december 31st 2012 okay this is a 2018 tax return instructions okay okay right let's let's go at it if your net taxable income okay is not over nine thousand dollars you don't pay any taxes if it's between nine thousand and twenty five thousand dollars again your net taxable income this is not your this is not the gross income that you earn on a year. This is the net taxable income per the return. If it's over 9,000, but not over 25,000, you get a 7% of the excess over 9,000. Over 25,000, but not over 45,500, you get 1,120 plus 14% of the excess over 25,000. Over 41,500, but not over 61,500, your tax is 3,430 plus 25% of the excess over $41,500. And the last bracket. Look how small the bracket is. In excess of $61,500. This is the top bracket for the individual tax returns, income tax returns of 2018. And it, it is not so different from 2017, 16. I mean, these things change every year, but again, it's not going to be a huge difference. In excess of $61,500, you're going to pay, right from the bat, $8,430. There's your contribution to the territory, my friend, plus 33% of the excess of 6500 So let's say you, you earn $100,000. Well, you're going to pay $8,000 for 130 plus 33% between the difference of $100,000 which is, let's say, that's your net taxable income, which which means that you earn pretty much more than that, gross. And you take the hundred thousand, and then you 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 deduct sixty one thousand five hundred dollars, and you pay not only eight thousand four hundred thirty, but you pay you also have to add up the thirty three percent of that excess, and there's your tax. That is individual income tax returns, and it's, it, it doesn't it doesn't get much better for corporate tax returns. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't have I don't have their specific tables here, but they are also brutal, brutal tax. Let's let's look at municipal tax, and and, and then let's let's go let's go into the uh, business side of the equation. While these people, like the Peter Chiefs of our lifetime, are getting all these tax breaks, regular business owners. In Puerto Rico, not, not this clown, regular, the real people that live here. Let's let's look at the taxes. So I just said income tax, right? They also so basically corporations here are 
tax in various levels. One is the bottom line, which is the income tax uh, return that, um, that it's based on the net income net income of a corporation, and then you have to you know make this uh, you know file this return, and and and, and you know it's, it's basically based on your bottom line, right? It's the income tax return. You you're also gonna be taxed that the business is going to be taxed at the gross income level so you're not only taxed on the bottom line through the income tax system the state income tax but you're also taxed at your gross revenues under the municipality tax so each municipality they you know they enact their own tax laws and they're called patente municipal, which is basically a tax at your gross income. And on top of that, you're also taxed on your property taxes, real and, and personal property taxes, and you're also taxed on inventory. You heard me right. In Puerto Rico, inventory tax is a thing. So you, not only your tax, your tax at the gross revenue. At the bottom line, net income, not only on the property that you own, but also on the things that you have not been able to sell. How great is that? So you have inventory, you, you, you purchase inventory, you did not sell it. Too bad for you, you're going to pay taxes for that. But I but just going to say, but hey, I didn't, I, didn't sell, I didn't even sell a, a damn thing. Didn't, say, didn't sell anything. Oh, well, sorry. Even if your revenues are zero, you didn't sell anything, you, you still owe taxes because inventory is part of the property tax system. And then and then we say there's people advocating to eliminate the inventory tax system because it's unfair. It's something that you just bought and you haven't even been able to sell it. And then people say, well, you know, uh, we, we can't, we can't eliminate that tax. I mean... Come on, I mean, we have to replace that tax with something else. This is the mentality in Puerto Rico. We have to replace taxes. I mean, and they all say, oh, I mean, it's because, you know, the experts are going to say, oh, it's because, you know, you can't do that because the Fiscal Control Board, they, they're requiring that um, everything is revenue neutral. So that means that you, you cannot eliminate taxes because it's not revenue neutral. You're, 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 you're creating you're creating a, a hole in the government system. How are you going to replace that? They talk about replacing, replacing, replacing. You know, this, this is, these are the experts. The fiscal control board is not going to approve it, so we can't we can propose it. We have to replace it. Well, let me tell you how we are going to replace it. It's not replacing a tax with another tax. It's that you cut expenses. You cut government intervention into the lives of people. You cut social programs that, the, that they were not supposed to be there in the first place. And once you do that, once you evaluate the whole thing, then, and only then, you can say, you know what? I can eliminate A, B, and C. This is going to reduce my cost, my governmental costs by this much. And then I can say, well, you know what? I'm going to eliminate the inventory tax. But these experts, these so-called experts, the only they can think of is, we got to replace taxes. 
because that's what the control board is saying. You have to make it revenue neutral. Well, revenue neutral, like I said, like I just mentioned, it's not just based on substituting one tax for another. You could also create balance by eliminating expenses. And then obviously eliminating those taxes that you don't you don't need no more to because you don't need to subsidize those expenses. Makes sense? Makes sense. But the thing is that the so-called experts on the matter, the economists and whatnot, the trade associations and whatnot, and all others. I mean, there's some let's be fair, there's some trade associations that actually advocate for the inventory tax to be completely eliminated, but most of the other uh, associations and 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 you know and experts. We're saying, no, we have to replace it. And again, these are the experts. And one of the, one of the ideas uh, was to replace it with um, a cost of goods sold tax. Well, that's going to be the, the, the rationale behind that was that, oh, well, you are complaining that you are being taxed on inventory, something that you bought that you have not been able to sell. Well, since you're complaining about that and... You're saying that you are that many commercial retail stores and whatnot are out of stock or they don't have most of their inventory in Puerto Rico and and they you know they claim that it is because of this tax. You know, you don't want to have a lot of inventory on your stores because at the end of the day you're gonna be taxed for that. So the the people that advocate for the elimination of the inventory tax is in part saying that it is because of, you know, that one of the reasons that we should eliminate it is because, you know, it creates problems for businesses, right? And for the consumers, they can't find their, what they're looking for. It's out of stock. So they say, well, since we can't eliminate it because the it's not revenue neutral, well, we're going to replace it. And, when, and, and some people argued and suggested replacing it with a sales once you sold it, I mean, a tax once you sold the inventory, but it's going to be based on the cost of the product sold. So basically, it's going to be based on your cost of goods sold. So in accounting, when you have an inventory, when you, when, when you have inventory and you sell your inventory, you get two things. You recognize your revenue, which is the markup, the cost, the cost of the inventory. Let's say it costs you $5. Those $5 plus whatever market you, you put in your sale, let's say it's $2, so now it's $7. So that $7 is taxed at the municipal level, like I said. Okay? But now they're saying they're switching their inventory tax to a cost of goods sold tax, meaning that you're not only going to be taxed at the municipal level at the, you know, uh, based on your revenue, which is cost plus profit, but you're also going to be taxed on your cost that was sold. That's double taxation. You're double taxing the same damn thing. Who proposes these things? If revenue is cost plus markup and you're taxing revenue, which includes cost and profit, and you say I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tax you now on your cost of goods sold, which is the cost of what you just sold that has a profit. You're double taxing. You're a genius. Should I clap? Let me clap. Yeah, let me clap. But then again, I am no tax expert. But what I can tell you is, even that I'm not a tax expert, we want Puerto Rico to prosper. We want Puerto Rico to 
to, to progress, eliminate tax burdens and the cost of doing business for people that live here. It's not making it easier for an outsider like Peter Chiff. It's to make it easier for us. Because at the end of the day, we are the ones that are going to stay here longer than this Peter Chiff and the rest of these people. We're going we're gonna to live here. We're going to have children here. We're going to build families and communities here. They're not. They're gone the moment their tax breaks are gone. But guess what? Guess who stays? We stay. You know, I'm not going to be easy on this. I am always going to advocate for you to make it easier for your local community and your local people, your true residents, the people that have been here in the good times and in the bad times. They deserve better opportunity. They're, they deserve to be able to build their own companies and be successful. And all this have led me to talk about the Dorados Major. Again, we said that one of the businesses for, you know, one of the Peter Chief businesses is located in Dorado, Puerto Rico. Well, guess what? The Dorado Major just decided to impose a new property tax on the wealthy. And we're going to go there now, but first... All right, moving now to the Mayor Dorado, which is imposing a new tax for the wealthy. And I'm going to take this topic very quickly because I want to move to another one. Um, while all this is happening, Dorado's Mayor decided to impose a new tax, a new property tax for, for wealthy. So meaning that um, uh, in sales of properties uh, that are value $1 million and above, uh, uh, you're going to have a, a special tax rate um, for that sale. So aside from having the regular uh, capital gain tax for for you know what that, that you pay whenever you sell whenever you sell a home or whatever you know property you have right, um, as apart from that or adding to that they're gonna pay a new special tax, which it is it is interesting because the tax is not flat out it's not flat it's it's not it's not let's say it doesn't matter. It's not a 1% flat tax rate, let's put it that way. So if you have like a, if the sale is between 1 million and 5 million, there's a, st there's a tax rate. If there's if it is between 5 and 10, there's another tax rate. And and, and if it's between 10 and 15, another, and something like that. And and then there's a, there's a top uh, rate after 20 or $25 million or something like that. Like I said, the tax is not flat, so the, the, the interesting part is that he's making a tax which actually is, is, a, is a tax rate that reduces as, uh, as the value of the property is increased. So that makes no sense, because if you want to capture more money, why would you impose, a, let's say, 1% tax on... One to five million, and then if it's if it if it's if it falls if it itself falls between five and ten, you're gonna impose three quarters of one percent, so you're you're imposing less. That makes no sense. But you know this is this is this is how it is. So, and this reminds me of that special tax that Sila uh, Maria Cardenon imposed on luxury vehicles back in two thousand. I remember my father buying his his two thousand. Uh, Jaguar um, S-Type and having to pay a special tax um, for the license plates of that vehicle because it was considered a luxury vehicle. So seeing how the mayor of Dorado and obviously is 
is, is a member of the same party, the Popular Democratic Party, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't surprise me that he's imposing new taxes. After all, that's all they do. Whenever this party is in power, that's all they do. Impose new taxes, new taxes, and new taxes. And it gets out of control. And then the taxes are imposed again to us. Not the people that come up from, uh, from the outside to get the, you know, to see the tax paradise that is Puerto Rico. No, 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 no. They're mostly affecting us right here. So yeah, that's the PPD for you. And talking about a little bit, just just a tiny bit, just quickly about the um, about uh, vehicles, uh, you know, the auto industry and, and and the taxes that are imposed to vehicles. So when you buy a vehicle in Puerto Rico, you go into the dealership and you buy one vehicle for the price of two. You have seen those sales that say buy one get one free or buy one and the second one is half price well in this case it's, it's actually the opposite the, the logic works uh uh on the reverse side so you get you go there you buy one car but you pay for two <laughs> i'm not kidding i mean you don't pay for two cars but technically i'm not kidding uh, in puerto rico you, you have this um ridiculous high import taxes on vehicles to give you an example let's take a $45,000 MSRP vehicle whatever vehicle you can think of that it's MSRP is 45,000 or near that in the United States let's say Florida for example you're gonna pay a sales tax whatever sales tax they have let's say it's 6% or it's 7% uh, whatever sales tax they have then you're gonna pay sales tax for the sale of that vehicle right for the MSRP say $45,000. It's always going to cost you a little bit more because obviously there's dealership, um, you know, profit as well, but pretty much it's going to be around that. I mean, it's not, it's not going to vary much. It's going to be $45,000 plus the MSRP. Uh, I mean, plus the, uh, the sales tax, right? Well, in Puerto Rico, it doesn't work that way. In Puerto Rico, a vehicle that is, that has an MSRP of 45, technically you're going to get it out for around 60 to $62,000. And it just depends on how much, one, how much profit, additional profit, the dealership in Puerto Rico is imposing or wants to get. And second, the import tax on vehicles. And it, this you can you can compute this. If you go to a Hacienda webpage, there's a, there's a page, there's a link that you can actually check how much um, import taxes uh, a vehicle pays or is, uh, or is or approximately pays based on the brand the model the year i mean everything you know so you end up having you end up going out of the dealership with a debt of 60 to 62,000 when the msrp was 45 and so there you go and on top of that the roads are destroyed so i'm not sure what they're using the money for i'm not sure i really don't know what what is this tax being used for because the roads are garbage. So not only you go out with a higher debt than the rest of the states, but your vehicle maintenance fee and the, and the vehicle maintenance is going to cost you more and, you, and you're going to end up giving a higher or a more complicated or a more, um, you know, or a bigger maintenance to your vehicle sooner with less mileage than the same vehicle in a row in Florida with more mileage. So you, 
obviously in Florida you're gonna drive a lot. You're gonna drive long distances, and and, and not just Florida. I mean, take California, take whatever. Obviously, the distances that you you drive are are gonna be more. So you're gonna put more mileage over there. In here, there's gonna be less mileage, but because the roads are so destroyed and they're so garbage, your car is gonna go down first. Your car is gonna broke first. It's gonna break first, and then not only it, not only you came out with a higher depth of 60,000 or 62,000 instead of 45 or 47 than in the States, but you also have to pay more maintenance for your car. So again, I'm not sure where this, where this tax is pretty much used for, but if it were me, I would, I would try to uh, uh, go do a research on this and, and I'll try to do, uh, eliminate this tax. This is crazy tax. You're paying for two vehicles. You could, you could have just Go into a dealership and buy a $45,000 car and go to another dealership and buy a $15,000 car, which you would have been, you know, you would have come out with two cars. But no, instead you go out, you go out with one car, but you're paying, you know, basically you're paying for two cars. Great job, Rebecca. Very good job. Now, so let's talk about the differences between a democracy and a constitutional republic. Many might think that the United States is a, democracy, but it is not. Did I burst your bubble? It is not a democracy in and of itself. It is not. The Founder Fathers never intended and never mentions, they never mention uh, the word democracy. They mention the word republic and constitution. And although, yes, the United States have elements of, of, of democracies, of course, uh, it is not in and on itself a democracy or a pure democracy or any type of democracy in and on itself just because it has elements of democracies. The United States is arranged a little bit different. This is the reason why they have the Electoral College. The whole United States system is predicated on the notion that they know that democracies are bound to fail. The reason they are bound to fail is because in a democracy where it is also called the government of the masses or the government of the majority, sooner than later, maybe sooner, people, the let's say, let's, let's say this, the, the, the people, the majority of the unproductive sector of, the, of, a, of a given state, country, territory, you name it, are going to vote for the people that ultimately are going to be advocating for more social benefits because they need the benefits. Make sense? So this is this is why we see in Puerto Rico and we have seen ever since inception that all politicians do is just promise benefits and promise these social programs and promise, uh, you know, uh, whatever. I'm going to give you free internet. I'm going to give you... Um, I'm going to raise the minimum wage. I'm going to raise this. I'm going to, uh, you know, give out this new corp social program. And in a democracy where 50% plus one is the majority, a candidate that more likely advocates for these things and promotes these ideas are going to be elected. Does it sound familiar? Well, 
that if it sounds familiar to you, it's because I'm making sense. And what's going to ultimately happen is that you're going to have a society that if it continues down that spiral, it's going to have a huge government intervention or disproportionate government intervention because they're going to establish multiple social programs, maybe more and maybe more pervasive and more broader than what they are needed to be. Again, I'm not saying social programs are not required. Of course, they are required. But the more you, the more they establish, the bigger the government, and the far, and the further the reach of the government into the lives of the people. So you just gave your life to the government. You nationalized your way of living, and Ultimately, you're going to have a bigger, non-productive sector or majority that is going to become even bigger because the productive sector is going to start realizing, oh, well, it does not make any sense anymore to make money here and to work and to be productive and to establish a business. No, it it makes more sense just to be home and get all this help from the government. Does it sound familiar? Okay, let's continue. Again, if it sounds familiar, it's because I'm making sense. Ultimately, you're going to have that, and the whatever is left of the productive sector is going to vanish, and ultimately, you're going to have the government is going to fall into a dictatorship. Because what once was a minority now became a majority that advocated for mega and super ultra social programs that were expanded made no sense to for the productive sector to continue being productive and now you have a socialist state whereas Yet the government is the one that runs your life. And once you go into that path, you are going down the path of a dictatorship. Now, the reason the United States is not a full democracy, and let's define democracy. Democracy is a system of government by the whole population or all the eligible members of a state, typically through elected representatives. The definition of a democracy is a form of government in which the common people hold political power and can rule either directly or through elected representatives. And you may say, well, that sounds pretty much like the United States. Yes, but there's the United States have a safe fail, a, a failsafe. The United States have a failsafe. The failsafe is the Electoral College. And this is why the Electoral College is so important. The Electoral College prevents the government of the masses. Because although a political candidate may have acquired the majority of the votes, of the popular vote, of the mass vote, there is a safeguard that the elected officials, in this case the President of the United States, is not elected through popular vote. It's elected through a system called the Electoral College, and that is a failsafe. 
Simple as that. So when the Founding Fathers created the United States, they foresaw the weaknesses of democracy. And I'm not saying the United States it, it could not fall into dictatorship. It could. That's why the Second Amendment is in place. The Second Amendment is in place because, well, for once, um, it prevents a tyrannical form of government. Or it's, it doesn't prevent it. Let's, let's be real. Uh, a, a true tyrannical government with all the military power could basically beat out regular citizens on a militia with handguns and ARs that are not automatic or fully automatic or semi-automatic because those are the legal ones. Right? So yeah, I mean, it's, it's not going to prevent a tyrannical government from taking over, but it's, it's going to deter. You're going to make them think twice before going into a tyrannical form of government because you're going to have a serious problem inside your own country. Many people are going to die. And many people are going to be willing to lose their lives to preserve the republic, the so-called democracy. That's one reason. The other reason is obviously for the same reason, but for foreign interventions, right? You don't. The one way to prevent or to deter, mostly um, a foreign country to invade the United States, is by having a, a well-established militia. If, if if the whole population holds more guns than your army, and you have more population than your army, you're gonna think twice into invading the country because. Not only you're going to be facing that country's army, you're going to be facing a humongous, a giant militia that is not going to be identified as a militia. It's going to be with civil, civil people. And you're going to have a problem. So that's the second reason. There's many reasons. So the, again, the founding fathers foresaw the weaknesses of democracies and established for them, a constitutional republic that at least provides some mechanisms to prevent them, their country, the United States, into going in down the path of socialism, communism, and a dictatorship. And I hope that clears a little bit. I'm not going into the specific. I might do a separate special episode defining and going more in-depth on all, on all of these concepts. But for now, um, this is what I really wanted to point out in this episode. So this has been all for today. Again, this is Ivan Gonzalez, and this is Inside the Colony. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a 5-star review. Also, please tell your families, your friends, and everyone you know about this podcast and tell them to subscribe as well. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, and almost everywhere you listen to your own podcasts. And if you want to support this podcast, you can also go to anchor.fm slash itc slash support. That is anchor.fm slash itc slash support. You can find a link of this in the description of our channel. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day.